You know, we haven't had an Oli and Lena joke in a while. I love the Oli and Lenas. Give me one. Oli and Lena went to the hospital so Lena could give birth to their first baby. So Oli waited in the lobby. The doctor came out to inform him that he had some good news and some bad news. Uh Uh-oh. The good news, says the doctor, is that you have a normal baby boy. The bad news is that it's a cesarean. Oli started crying. Well, I'm glad it's a healthy baby, but I was kind of hoping it would be a Norwegian. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, I'm Christy. And I'm Edith. We're backyard gardeners from Colorado. And neighbors. And friends. These days, gardening has gotten very popular. And we've noticed more and more people picking our brains for tips and troubleshooting about gardening. We're not experts. We just learned a lot about gardening from the mistakes we made along the way. So welcome to Upside Down Tulips. A fun podcast that celebrates gardening gone wrong. Upside Down. Hello, everybody. Hi, everybody. Hi, Christy. Hello, Edith. There was some good, that was a good joke, huh? Yes, it was. <laughs> I you love know, that you know, we folks, start we, with a joke. I do too, but we don't know which joke is actually going to be before this because we just throw a bunch of jokes out and then our um, exciting and enigmatic engineer decides which joke it's going to be. You see, I was pretending that we did know to make a smooth transition, oh. but Christy, Miss Honest Minnesota, <laughs> that's just not going to happen in this room. Maybe it was a really bad joke. It doesn't, it, they're all bad jokes, that's Christy. True. We all agree. They're, they're all, all bad, bad jokes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So moving on, what's going on, Christy? Well, I'm excited to talk about Good news in the garden. The news on the news has been so depressing lately that let's go to some good news. Yeah, and it's going to go further than just the garden. At least mine do. I want to make people feel good about the world right now. There are some good things happening in the world, and we're going to let you know what they are. One good thing that's coming is that we have a merch sale, Edith. What? A merch sale? It runs the 16th through the 21st, and all... T-shirts are 13 bucks, and everything else is 35% off. Now, see, that's amazing. That's really good news. So you can get Christmas gifts. Oh, my gosh. Christmas is coming right up, isn't it? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so, Edith, is what? there any, anything else before we talk about what's happening in our gardens? Um, let's explain the Persephone period. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. So, okay. folks, this is the time of year when daylight falls below 10 hours per day. In the Denver metro area. And it's known as the Persephone period, and it references the daughter of Demeter, the goddess of the harvest in Greek mythology. And when daylight falls below 10 hours per day, the plant growth stops. So uh, anybody, basically, almost everybody has this Persephone period, not Mm -hmm. just our zone. But uh, our zone is November 15th, to January 27th. And during this time, we're going to publish new shows bi-weekly. That means every other week, we will have a brand new spanking episode for everybody. And on the off week, we will repeat episodes like on garden tools or growing in containers or winter sowing. Mm-hmm. And also on the off week, we will publish a new special pod play just for the garden party. We don't mean to be snooty, <laughs> but... 
We really, it's showing our appreciation to the garden party. So for example, like a new who killed Rosemary or a new old woman who used to live in a shoe, we've been writing these folks. And if you want to hear the new pod play in the off week, then just become a member of the garden party. That means you're a patron. You're a supporter of Upside Down Tulips. It doesn't have to be a lot of money. It can be as low as two bucks. So you could put it, shoot it up to five. It's going to kill you. I don't think so. How to become a member of the Garden Party? Check out our website or the show notes. Good job, Edith. Good job, Christy. Okay, so what, if anything, is going on in your garden in November? Well, in November, things are still happening. I mean, I still have carrots and beets that I can uh, harvest because we have yet to have a hard frost. Isn't that weird? It's weird. We were supposed to get snow, and it didn't happen. Didn't happen. Even after a hard frost, the carrots and the beets will be just fine. And I just want to catch you up on something. I finally harvested my cauliflower. Oh, this whole summer you I've are been kidding complaining, me. right? Yeah. It was approximately eight, four, four inches across. And rather than a head of cauliflower, it was more like a sheet of cauliflower. Oh, it was a weird. flat plane of cauliflower. Weird. <laughs> so weird. You have to take a picture of that. We'll put it on the Facebook. I already put it in a soup. I'm sorry. I should have. (laughs) Gone. Gone. So that would have been a really good idea. How was the soup at least? Delicious. Okay, good. Cream of cauliflower. I still have arugula and Swiss chard as well. Just got to show you how patient a gardener needs to be. And it's not dead until it's dead. Not sure a sheet of cauliflower was worth it. It was a small sheet. And it's a huge plant, but it's better than nothing. That's that's kind of like one of our mottos. You know what? It's better than nothing. That's right. Not going to complain. It's, it didn't die. It didn't die. Right. Hallelujah. Hey, I was going to ask you, Edith. Yes. Um, about your plum tree. Well, because I ca- all I remember is that one day you came over and barred my chainsaw. Yes, <laughs> I did. I don't think that. And I didn't well. use it for nefarious reasons. <laughs> I did use it to take down my plum tree. And I have the smaller pieces in a bucket, and I have the bigger pieces in a pile that I will put in a hugel. You know, I do hugel culture, which is when you put wood on the bottom of a hill, and then you build up the soil on top of it so that it naturally degrades, and it keeps things more moist, and it keeps, and it is food for bugs and stuff. What a beautiful tribute to your plum tree oh, to repurpose it that way. Yeah. Then I'm, it just becomes a part of, it still remains a part of your garden. Exactly. It is a part of my garden. Now, what about, do you have anything going on in your garden, Christy? Well, I got those geraniums in. Oh, good. Yeah. So I I, I took them. I, I cut off all the flowers. Yeah. I trimmed them back about a third and I dunked them in a bucket of soapy water. Mm-hmm. So I could get rid of bugs. Mm-hmm. And then I brought them up into my attic on a shelf that has a little sun. Good. And I put a reminder in my calendar every month to check on them. Oh, very good. I also put some in, I put uh, sprigs of it and I put some in water to see what that would do. Oh, that's very to good. See, so I'm going to try a couple different ways. Oh, good. Oh, let me know about that. That's interesting. I also did the sweet potato experiment. So a couple weeks ago, I told folks that um, I read an article about how to overwinter ornamental sweet potato vine mm-hmm. because every year I would buy a bunch because I love it. I love the color so mm-hmm. much, but um, I'd never thought about saving it. 
And a couple of my plants had these tubers erupting from the pot. I didn't even realize that was a tuber plant. I should have known potatoes are tubers. Yeah. Right. But I didn't know. Well, the instructions were to dig them up very carefully, not to slice into the tubers, brush the soil off, and store them not touching in a cardboard box filled with peat moss or sand or vermiculite uh-huh, or something uh-huh. light. And then you place the box in a cool, dry location where they won't freeze, watch for them to sprout in the spring, and then cut each tuber into chunks, and then um, you'll get a, when you have little sprouts, then you can have sweet potato. So when you cut them into chunks, then you put them in potting soil. Yes. Is that right? right? Then you put them in pots and you wait for them to grow. Well, here's what happened to me. What? I went to go carefully dig out these tubers. Yeah. And they were huge, Edith. They were like larger than a regular sweet potato. They were very large and bulbousy. Half of them were rotten. No. And because the instruction said, don't disturb the sweet potato, don't cut it at all. I went, Uh oh, man, that's just not going to work. And I think what happened is that as the weather got cooler and the sun was not as bright, I didn't change my watering routine of my container plants. Oh. I think that's why they got mushy. I'll bet you that's why. There were some, there were some little teeny tiny ones that were maybe just a couple inches long. Uh And I thought, well, what the hey, give it a try. So I put it, I surrounded it with some soil pep and put it in the attic. And I'm not, I'm not uh, counting on a whole lot though. Well, you know what? At the very least, you have created a new word, bulbousy. It's a great (laughs) word, like tarabulbousy. Right? Good word, Yeah, Christy. as long as nobody calls me bulbousy, then I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, friends. Well, if there are any words or terms that you're not familiar with, please go to our website and check out the funny and informative Upside Down Dictionary. Or you could click on the link in our show notes, and also we have fun stuff, so fun, on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube. And now... Here is a brand new pop play handcrafted just for you, Unsolved Mysteries. Hello, this is Roberta Stack. Welcome to Unsolved Garden Mysteries. It's a quiet neighborhood. It was a normal day in the late summer, early autumn garden. Michelle walked through, inhaling the earthy, spicy scent of the tomato plant, the hard, cidery smell of the fallen apples, and the minty smell of the mint. (laughs) It was the same every day. The walk-through to pick the last of the green beans. In the bucket you go. The dark and bulging eggplant. What a beauty. And the generous zucchini. But... There hasn't been zucchini for several days. Huh. Or has there? Exactly one week and two days since last seeing a zucchini, Michelle hears a thump at the kitchen door. Coming! Oh my gourd! It's a giant zucchini still attached to the plant. How in the world did I not find you for a week and two days? So Michelle called the FBI. They interrogated the zucchini. Just the facts, ma'am. Or sir. Does zucchini even have a gender? Just the facts, friend. But the zucchini wasn't talking. So Michelle called the CIA. 
We have ways of making you talk, Zook. No, we don't. We're not allowed to torture anymore. Never mind. Finally, in desperation, Michelle called the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. I have a problem with the biggest zucchini I have ever seen, and I never even saw it as it was growing. Could it be used as a weapon? Absolutely. Is it an explosive? I think it could explode. Does the government tax it? No. Sorry, not in our jurisdiction. So the mystery, faced by so many gardeners for so many generations, remains. How does a zucchini grow the length of half a football field completely unseen? If you have any clues, please let us know at UpsideDownTulips.com. We appreciate it. I just want to give a shout out to my friend Michelle, who actually inspired that thing about zucchini. I think, Christy, that we all have that in common as gardeners. <laughs> There's, Don't you think? Yeah, I think so. Not a gardener on the planet that has not found a gigantic zucchini that got away from them somehow. And how does it do that? I have no idea. I don't know. That's why it's an unsolved mystery. Ooh. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Well, this week, friends, we're talking about good news in the garden and in the world. Yeah. Yep, uh, yep. Just to kind of counteract some of the bad news that's happening out there, with things to celebrate. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and start, Edith. Okay. I thought you'd find this interesting. All right. I also wanted to tell folks that we didn't share what our good news is with each other. Uh-uh. So uh, here's, here's what I have is about the upward trend in community gardening. Ooh. So even before the pandemic, there was a trend of more community gardens. From 2012 to 2018, the number of community gardens in city parks in the, in the largest 100 U.S. cities grew by 44%. Oh, that's fantastic, Christy. And many of these gardens are self-organized by local volunteers that are not reliant upon government help. So this is people with no property of their own to cultivate or who live in areas where there's a lack of fresh produce arranged for land to be tilled and then took up shovels in a collective and outdoor experience. Um, Working garden plots together have always been a way to break the pandemic's isolation as well as to ensure a supply of food. Shared gardens are a mirror of what a community stands for. When you have a community garden, you operate on a golden rule economic, and that challenges the theory that people will secretly exploit a shared resource. Hmm. The economist Eleanor Ostrom found that close-knit communities were the basis of a healthy economy and the quality of relationships or an abundance of trust and honesty were the key to creating shared good. So today, a community garden, which is essentially just born out of the victory gardens mm-hmm. of From World War II, of uh-huh. World War II, it offers fresh produce, and it provides fresh and inexpensive food, and they're finding that in challenging times like this pandemic. They offer insights about what actually brings a community together. Christy, that's just not good news. That's bulbousy good. <laughs> you know, it really is. 
It is so good that it is stretching into bulbous areas. Speaking of bulbous, uh, do you remember episode 24 where I talked about the farmers in Botswana painting lion's eyes on their cow butt, on their cow's butts? Yes. Yeah, they painted lion's eyes on their cow's butts to protect them from predators. I have another cow butt story. Bring it on. You know, I have been sorely lacking in cow butt stories. You can always count on me. I've been deficient. Count on me. Here we go. Dave and Marie Gray Bill have a dairy farm in Pennsylvania with a 700,000-gallon storage tank that holds a year's worth of nutrient-rich manure produced by their cattle. Did you know Christy, a mature dairy cow weighing 1,400 pounds, that's bulbous, can <laughs> generate around 14 gallons, about 120 pounds, of feces and urine every day? Wow. Yeah, every day. 14 gallons. Mm-hmm. 120 pounds, 14, that stuff's heavy. Uh, you know, cow pies are not because they dry out, but if you uh-huh. ever picked up a freshly laid, a freshly pooped cow, uh-huh. it, it's really heavy. It's been a while. Oh, yeah, it's heavy. I, I don't have any muscle memory for that. <laughs> I do. <laughs> well, you grew up on a farm, right? I, I was on a farm a lot. Did you used to have to shovel the manure, as I they say? I did indeed. I did indeed. So then the manure is used to fertilize the crops, which are then used to feed the cows. He creates a circle. I also want to point out, I thought, I thought this was a great, great thing. Thanks to today's dairy farming practices, producing a gallon of milk in 2017 required 30% less water and 21% less land than it did in 2007. Oh, that's so interesting. It's good news. It is good news, especially when we talk about how much a gallon of almond milk, how much water it is to grow almonds. Yeah, you're right about the almond thing for sure. So got milk, everybody, better than soda. What's your next thing, Christy? Well, this is a story about Nayea Ellison who lives in the south side of Chicago, and she is planting and harvesting behind her house. So food scarcity is prevalent on the south side, and um, Ms. Allison knows this personally. She said, I just know what that feels like to not know where your next meal is coming from. When you kind of grow up where you experience the lack of it, it gives you this drive, this motivation to make sure there's that's no longer the case. So she started a garden in the middle of the pan- pandemic. And she said it became her therapy and happy place, which we've talked about before, too, about yep. how thank goodness for the garden during all this. Absolutely. Well, now she shares her garden, not only for herself, but mm-hmm. also with her family and her neighbors. She says, we know how prevalent diabetes, high blood pressure, all these illnesses and diseases that's highly prevalent in the black community. And all of this stems from our food and our diets. So she gives away fruits and vegetables and shares gardening tips online and even healthy meal ideas. Well, that's fantastic. Christy, how about this? How about let's go from, you say South Chicago Uh to around the world. My next thing takes us around the world. It is about living architecture. And what I'm going to do is, I could talk about this for an hour, but of course I won't. I'm going to give you three examples that if you're interested, folks, you can Google them. They're incredibly beautiful. Living architecture is the new trend where they grow gardens, vertical gardens, not just on the roof of a building, but all the way up the sides. Wow. So, for example, in Chippendale in New South Wales, 
It's called Residential Tower One Central Park. It is the world's tallest vertical garden. Botanist and garden designer Patrick Blanc sheathed two 380-foot-tall buildings in green with plants and vines climbing up the glass facade. Wow. And he has it going so that it goes from the park. It's an unbroken trail from the park Uh right up the building. Wow. Okay, another one is in Sri Lanka. You don't think of Sri Lanka as, but there they are at the forefront, 46 Sri Lanka, this little island that's the teardrop uh, south of India, right? Yes. Yes. Sri Lanka, this is a 46-story, it's called the Clear Point Tower, and there is, it's entirely covered in foliage, so not one single inch of the glass surface is exposed to direct sunlight, because you know how hot it is there. Yeah. So that's what they're doing with that. The plants also act as a sound and heat buffer, and they provide cleaner air. They water it using an automated drip irrigation system. Mm. Finally. That's embedded in the architecture. Yes, in the architecture. That's why they built it that way. Uh, And finally, the Park Royal Hotel in Singapore. You have got to Google this, folks. This is unbelievable. He has walkways, green walkways going on the outside of the building on the outside of a skyscraper walkways made of green and plants. Wow. Well, it's extraordinary. He's got cascading waterfalls. He's got planter terraces. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, folks, Google that. The Park Royal Hotel in Singapore. Well, you know, just a couple weeks ago, we were complaining that we didn't have enough windows to put our house plants in. Right. right. <laughs> Let's put them outside our house. Christy, what right. a great idea. And you know, there's some people that they're, they're get kind of addicted to plants, you know, uh-huh. this could be a dangerous building for some people because yes, they would, yeah, yeah, so I guess it could, but plants. I mean, what a, what a wonderful oh, thing I that's happening. That. It's a wonderful thing are that's they, happening. Are they growing, is it, are they growing um, crops too, or is it just? I th- well, so far I've heard. It's pothos and the, spider plants. Yeah. Um, I've heard that they can do all of them, but mostly I think that they are concerned with vines and things to cover large spaces. Mm -hmm. Well, it makes sense to me because I have vines on my house. There you go. So I have trumpet vine on my house, and um, I think it keeps my house very cool in Uh the summer. And um, and I would, the other thing I was going to ask about these living architecture uh-huh. is like, what about animals and birds and bugs? And yes. because I have birds that will nest in my vines, butterflies and, and birds. So you're creating a home rather than just taking away, you know, and making something urban. You are bringing farming into the oh, ur- I love into that. the heart of the urban. Well, let me let me share something else then for you about urban gardening, and this is from the New York Times. And they did an interview with Ron Finley, and he calls himself a guerrilla gardener. Uh-oh. And he says, I built a garden in my swimming pool. <laughs> That's great. I also have a garden on the street in front of my house, but I had to fight the city of Los Angeles to keep it. This fight was worth it because it changed the law and the possibilities and made it legal to grow food on the parkways of the city. Because Finally. it used to be illegal to grow food in the parkways of the wow. Los Angeles. He says, beauty in, beauty out. Gardens equal freedom. My garden is poetry. I love my garden. 
The garden is the song. My office is my garden. My garden allows others and myself to see, taste, smell, and feel the wonderful things that this amazing planet has to offer it. My garden is a protest. My garden is my revolution. My garden is my contribution, my solution to better forms of food distribution and to help halt air pollution. There's no substitution. I had to have a very strong constitution to go through the prosecution that would secure my absolution. And still I rise to claim the never-ending prize. That's gorgeous. Ron Finley. Christy, when we come back, I have a story about a law that's been changed too. Great. On the other end of the country. Well, let's go talk about some badass gardeners. Okay. From sea to shining sea, in the deep south, on the plains, in the foothills, and in the great northwest, there's a new presence in town. It's the badass backyard gardener. With a trowel on their hip, a hoe under their arm, and a bag of mulch strapped to their saddle, they're ready to plant, weed, and harvest. Come what may, they're ready for anything. Like a badass boss. A freeze, Mother Nature? Isn't it a little early? Never mind. I've got floating row covers, hot rocks, and sheets for tents. I will save my garden. So go ahead. Make my day. Like a quarterback. Okay, everybody, fertilize the 20-yard line and line up defense. Bring out the poop tea dispensers. Omaha. Like a sheriff dispensing frontier justice. I'm sorry, but there's not room enough for two big boys in this tomato town. One of you has to move out. And you, cutworm and slug, you just get out of town. We don't like your kind round here. If you don't go, I've got cardboard toilet paper roll for you, cutworm, and a saucer of old beer for the slug. At least he'll die happy. Like a maverick. I see you, beetle, eating my nasturtiums. Meet the water bucket, beetle. I'd hang you, but I don't have a rope that's small, and you don't have a neck. Like a life coach. I'm gonna mulch ya, water ya, weed ya, and spray those aphids away. Come on, little broccolini. The future is yours. And you, arugula, you gotta stay hydrated. You wilty. Here. A lawn chair over you so you get some shade and live a nice, long, healthy life. We see you backyard gardeners, front yard gardeners, farmers, Gardeners who use community gardens. Gardeners who keep containers on their porch. All respect and love, gardeners. Keep on growing something. Shall we go on, Christy? <laughs> love that voice. Shall we? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's talk about more badass gardening. Yeah. Boy, we've got a country full of badass gardeners. We have a badass state, the state of Maine. Now, every state in this country just had elections. And the state of Maine passed from 61% to 40%. Well, that doesn't add up, right? <laughs> I'm trying to avoid the little fractions. Let me, from hey, 60... you know what? We're not a math gardening po- We're not a math gardening Thank podcast. you. You're so not, right. right. If You know, friends, if you want a math podcast, go yeah. listen to that. Yeah. That's not what this is. No one was there with a pen adding it up. 
But anyway, they passed on their ballot a measure that says that Mainers have the right to save and exchange seeds, and they have the right to grow, raise, harvest, produce, and consume their own food. Here is the exact uh, language. Quote, All individuals have a natural, inherent, and unalienable right to food, including the right to save and exchange seeds, and the right to grow, raise, etc., etc., food of their own choosing for their own nourishment, sustenance, bodily health, and well-being. That's amazing. The guy who sponsored it, State Representative William Falkenham, listen to this. He says, Will Monsanto own all the seeds? Mm. And will we have gotten so far from our roots we won't even have natural seeds anymore? Hmm. Will people even be allowed to grow gardens, or will gardening become a luxury reserved Hmm. for the rich? Well, that is so interesting because um, sometimes people view gardening as a habit for rich white people. Yeah, and it's not. It was never that. An expensive hobby. And it's it doesn't yeah. need to be, and good for you, state of Maine. I'm surprised that that needed to be voted on, that it wasn't just already known and a given. That being it, being given and being a known is not putting it in law. You know what I wonder, Christy? I wonder with this law, if, for example, like here we are, I live in a little bungalow. If on either side of me they decided to build a high-rise apartment or those three stories— I would not get enough light to have a garden. Would this give me the right oh. to have a garden and to them not block my sunlight? Oh, that's so. I don't. That's a really good question. We need to follow this because this is really and is this interesting. The, is Maine the first state that has done this? Yes, they're the first state. They're the first state that had a food sustenance law. They are way, way ahead of everybody else in that cold little state there. <laughs> and I also never knew that you call people from Maine Mainers. No, I didn't either. What did you call them? Um, Mainanites. <laughs> Mennonites from Mainanites. <laughs> but he's paying attention. The state that representative Falkenheim, he knows what Monsanto is doing. Right, Most because they were, don't. they were copywriting seeds. They still are. You're and, not allowed to use right, their seeds. And what's the snowball effect? Like, it could be in some states, like when we share seeds with people, mm-hmm. we share seeds back and forth, that that yes. could be against the law. It could be. You have to put it in law. You have to put it in writing. Good for you, Maine. Thank you. That's awesome. Okay. And, 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 and our friends who, oh. who and we have listeners from Maine, write in and tell us about yeah. how that's affecting your community. We want to know about that. Yeah, I'd love to hear yeah. more about that. That's fascinating. Okay. Here is a story from the suburbs of Atlanta. This is about Nydia Liberato, and she didn't plan on sharing her garden. She's 34 years old, and she purchased a home in Littleburn, which is in the suburbs of Atlanta, Mm -hmm. and her yard was an eyesore. She said it was wild, an absolute jungle, un. Undeveloped, underdeveloped with poison ivy, English ivy, weeds everywhere. But today, behind the tree stumps covered in moss and ferns are pathways lined with glass bottles leading to banana trees and a fire pit. She has eight chairs and a sign that reads, Future Community Sitting Garden. Oh my gosh. And she welcomes neighbors to sit and enjoy the view. 
In the background, she has a vegetable garden and fruit trees and a chicken coop and some rabbits and a pond and frogs and fish and a reading corner with books and a greenhouse. Oh, wow. She said, people have beautiful gardens in the back. And I was just like, what if I turned this into a beautiful garden and made it clear that others could walk on? I just want to gift it to anyone in the neighborhood. Just come. This is yours too. Nearly all the plants and items in her community sitting garden are donated. It is set to open in spring of 2022. It has been enthusiastically welcomed by the neighbors who have donated hundreds of glass bottles and plants and water hoses and thyme. And she calls her garden the asilo, which means asylum in Spanish. And she says it's helped her meet all her neighbors and have normal social interactions in a safe way during the pandemic. Oh, that's just one of the best things I've ever heard. A sitting garden a open sitting to her whole garden open community. To everybody talk about, wow, that's better than calling the cops on your neighbors, huh? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I should say there's one little aspect to it that she's waiting on, which is that um, there were some neighbors that weren't t- were taken too kindly to it. Oh. And so they've got the code enforcement folks on it. Oh, no. And they're having a meeting about They had a meeting about it last week, and I don't know the results of it. So she had to make some changes. But she does say, um, I think all of us were feeling disconnected from each other because of the pandemic. Um, one lady saw my sitting garden and started crying because it restored her faith in humanity. There's so much support around it. Everybody likes flowers, I guess, unless you have allergies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, Christy, I love that story. So I hope she gets everything worked out with code enforcement and she can have her sitting garden. I do too. And see, this is why we need laws. We could have a law now. You're allowed to sit in a garden. A whole law. (laughs) You're the legal right. Right. And let other people sit in it too. Yes. Well, Christy, you know, and I'm talking to you and all the gardeners out there, and this is the good news that we have created, gardeners. This is about doing carbon sequestrate. How do you say that word? Sequestration? Carbon sequestration. Sequestration. Oh, what is that? That's when you sequester carbon, when you take it out of the air and you put it in the soil where it belongs. Okay. So, you know, that's what carbon um, credits are about. And stuff like oh, that. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yes. Okay. So I just want gardeners to know that that is exactly what you're doing. And to do a really good job at it, I have five things that you should do that you're probably already doing. Avoid tilling. Both of us don't till our ground. I used to till until you told me not to. Because what that does is it brings carbon to the surface and it exposes it to the air and where it turns into carbon dioxide. And we're always told before this though which is you should till it because like like you got to like mix things in there mm-hmm. or something like that yeah. i don't know why but i was hiring people to come and till it yeah well i i that that now that you're avoiding it you are doing carbon sequestration ooh what about cover crops i'm going to have to start doing cover crops that's another really good idea mm-hmm. it's anti erosion and um and that's that's for the vegetable garden right edith and so yes. you could plant a vegetable a, garden a, mm-hmm. a cover crop of like um, buckwheat, cereal rye, clover. Um, the third thing is, and we both do this, start a compost pile. That is another way that, because uh, you take the plant material that, that you remove from your garden and you put it in the compost pile 
it breaks into it breaks down and you return it to the garden. And we have a whole episode about compost piles. I think it was episode 15. I think I think it might have been. And I don't even I'm not the I'm not a perfect composter. You don't have to be perfect at not it. Not at all. Just throw that stuff in a pile. Plant lots of different things, Christy. Diversity in your plant material increases the soil's organic matter. So mix it up. You do this. Mix it up with trees, shrubs, perennials, and edibles. And finally, commit to organic gardening. The use of synthetic fertilizers shuts down soil production of nitrogen, and it shuts down carbon storage. So do those five things, and you are getting carbon credits like crazy. Wow, that's cool. And there's lots of fertilizers that you can get that are organic. Yes, there are. And there's ways of dealing with pests and bugs that are organic also. See, every single episode we've ever done, (laughs) everyone, folks, we've been talking about this for a year and a half. Yeah, and and just, you know, change one thing. Huh? Or five. Or five. (laughs) You're so so tempered, you know? You're like tempered steel. You're good-tempered. Temper, temperance I like, is your middle I, name. I like to be like tempered chocolate. Tempered chocolate. I'd never heard of that. Oh, that's my other podcast about cooking. <laughs> that's really bulbousy. That's just so bulbousy I, you were, of you. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I, could, I could see your bulbousy eyes over there. I knew you were going to say that. Christy, Christy, I hear footsteps. Uh-oh. Do you know what time it is? What? Mailbag time. Ring, ring. There's the mailman. <laughs> but um, it's a very short mailbag this week, so it should be like, ring, 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 ring. Ring, or it should be, ri, ri. <laughs> <laughs> this is from Tom C. Thank you for this, Tom. And he says, very bluntly, by the way, don't understand your feelings about candy corn. I love it. And even though it's November, we're talking about candy corn mm-hmm. because for the past couple of weeks, you and I were sharing about our dislike for candy corn, mm-hmm. and we thought we better talk about this letter. We just got it today, and we didn't want to, the shelf life of this topic is running out, so we thought we better talk about it now. Unlike the shelf life of candy corn, which is eternity. It never goes bad. <laughs> the only thing worse than that would be a Twinkie stuffed with candy corn. Okay. Okay. So, Edith, why don't you like candy corn? Because it tastes like crap. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even like the texture. It tastes like you're chewing on old teeth. Or like wax. Waxy teeth. Yes. Yeah. And it's very sweet. So Tom super didn't sweet. say Tom loves it, though. And Tom, we love that you love it, right? And, you know, I did a little research on candy corn she to would. support she Tom. She would, folks. She, oh, aren't you sweet? And do you know, Edith, that 52% of people like candy corn? Well, well. So we are in the major, the minority of ages. Fifty eight percent of Generation X admit they like candy corn. The second is baby boomers with fifty six percent saying they like it, and forty nine percent of Gen Z like candy corn, and forty six percent of millennials say they like it. So Tom is in the majority. Yeah, and he has got legions of fans of candy corn to back him up. He does. Now, do you know that 29% of Americans admit to nibbling candy corn from the narrow white end first? Mm. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. 7% say they start with the wider yellow end, 
and 65% say they just pop the whole thing in their mouth. Oh my gosh. There's an interviewer with way too much time on his hands. People from the South are 2% more likely than the average American to begin with the wider yellow end, <laughs> while residents of the Northeast are 4% more likely to enjoy their candy corn in one bite. Well, my goodness, I'm enlightened. <laughs> Completely enlightened. <laughs> Have we exhausted the candy corn discussion for the year? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. That okay. was very good, Christy. Well, folks, if you want to uh, talk to us about why you like or dislike candy corn or whether or not you eat it from the yellow end, the white end, I pop mean, it in your mouth. Folks, we had a letter of like five words, and we just waxed poetic about it. Well, we so, want to hear about everything yeah. you want to tell us about candy corn. Have you? How long have you had candy corn? And okay, it doesn't have it? to be candy corn. It can be anything you want. Yeah. Do right? you, uh, you have gardening questions, successes, failures, flops? Please write to us at upside down tulips at gmail or at our website at upside down tulips.com. I'm sitting on top of Lonely Mountain in the warm breeze. And on the other mountain, I see it looks like a wise person. I hope that wise person inspires me. Here's this week's inspiration. It's from American journalist Hunter S. Thompson. Good news is rare these days, and every glittering ounce of it should be cherished and hoarded and worshipped and fondled like a priceless diamond. Oh, I love Hunter <laughs> S. Thompson. I didn't expect that coming from Isn't him. Isn't that interesting? It's so poetic. It is so poetic. Thank you, Hunter S. Thompson. And uh, thanks, everybody else, for listening. This has been another episode of Upside Down Tulips. We are Edith Weiss and Christy Montour Larson. And if you got some laughs and value out of this week's episode, could you do us a favor? Would you please hit that subscribe, like, or follow button wherever you listen to your podcast? Thanks so much to Denise Gentilini for composing and performing the Upside Down Tulips theme song. Go to denisegentilini.com or find that link at UpsideDownTulips.com if you want to hear more of her music. And thank you to our kind and talented friends and actors, Abby Apple Bowes and John Ashton. Thank you to our excellent yet enigmatic engineer. And a special thanks to our local nursery and friend of the show, Southwest Gardens. Join us next week, everybody, for the Thanksgiving special. It'll be special. It'll make you grateful. And we'll say thank you. Mm-hmm. Don't forget, if you make a mistake... Your garden will forgive you. Upside down.